Jesus demonstrated this great act of humility during this last Passover meal with his disciples. In an extraordinary act of love, a holy servant strips off his outer garments. He takes a towel and he girds his waist. He puts water in a basin and he begins to come to each of his disciples to wash and dry their feet. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So we're in John chapter 13. We've been making our way through the Gospel of John this year and brings us to chapter 13. We get to chapter 13, we come to the final 24 hours of Jesus's life as he makes his way to the cross. And here we are going to spend the next seven chapters, chapters 13 through 19, that is going to deal with the cross. I know that we do this every Easter, and we're gonna take the next 10 teachings to work our way through the events that surrounded Jesus's death from John's perspective as he gives it to us here in the Gospel of John. We're gonna see a supreme example of love in John 13. I broke it into three main sections. A supreme example, verses one through 16. A subverted heart, verses 17 through 30. A supreme love, verses 31 through 38. So we find that when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that Jesus did not try to avoid his death, but Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It is at the cross where Jesus displayed his supreme, his superior example of God's love toward us. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Revelation 1, 5, to him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. So I don't want to have us mistakenly understand this example of Jesus serving his disciples by washing their feet is the Uh, most extreme example of Jesus's love. We know that that's not true. We know that the cross is that example where he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. But with supper being ended, we find that Jesus was willing, knowing that his hour was coming. And one of those last acts that he would perform for his disciples, he washed their feet. 
Now, even before this meal took place in Luke 22, verses 2 through 6, it tells us the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, named Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way. He conferred with the chief priests, the captains, how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So it appears, I think up to this point, Judas had a, a choice to follow through or not. He's at this meal with the other disciples, with Jesus. And yet it was during this Passover meal that Judas will totally surrender his will to Satan and become Jesus's betrayer. But here's what Jesus knew at the beginning of this meal with the Passover feast upon them, knowing that his hour had come upon him. Jesus knew that he had come from God and that God had sent him. Jesus knew that the father loved him and had given all things into his hands. And Jesus knew that he would leave this world and go and return to the father. And with all this divine knowledge, Jesus rose from that supper. He laid aside his garments. He girded himself with the towel. And after that, he poured water, verse 5, into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. So Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Verse nine, Peter responded, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands, my head. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus answered, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Jesus demonstrated this great act of humility during this last Passover meal with his disciples. In an extraordinary act of love, a holy servant strips off his outer garments. He takes a towel and he girds his waist. He puts water in a basin and he begins to come to each of his disciples to wash and dry their feet. Now we know historically that normally the washing of the feet was done by the lowest servant in the house. And here we already learned that Jesus with supper being ended, other uh, Bible translators said during the meal. So somewhere in the course of this meal, we already know that the feet hadn't been washed and this was customary in their day and age. And people come to our house and they see a pile of shoes by the front door. And so the first question would be, do we take our shoes off? And it's like, yeah, we take our shoes off here. My mama taught me well. You know, why clean your house all week and bring in the dirt from the outside? But uh, they not only, and, and I already mentioned my son in Hawaii, the slippers come off outside the door. And so you can be in a hotel if it's locals, you'll see their shoes outside the door, not inside the doorway, because it's customary. You don't bring the red dirt into the house. You leave it outside. And Israel, very dry climate, 
sandals, sand, they would wash their feet. But it was the job of the lowest servant to do that. It tells us that there was no one there to wash their feet, nor were any of the disciples willing to take the role, to say, all right, I'll do it. I'll wash your feet. No one was willing to do this. You would think after three plus years, the disciples had at this point had learned the depths of true servanthood by watching Jesus. They had seen this extreme example of Jesus Christ through these three years, and now they get the uh, extreme example of love from the holiest of all servants as Jesus stripped his garment and he came to each disciple to wash their feet. But as Jesus, as we read, came to Peter, Peter, Lord, you're washing my feet? Oh, this isn't going to happen, Peter thought. You're not doing that. But after learning that if he didn't allow Jesus to wash his feet, Jesus said, you'll have no part with me. Peter goes on to say, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. In other words, Peter said, Lord, wash all of me. In the Greek, we have two different words that speak about the washing and bathing. Here's kind of the difference between the words. One means to bathe the whole person. The other means to uh, bathe only parts, the hands and the feet. And Jesus responded back to him that all of you are clean. You've been bathed. And he's speaking about salvation at this point. Then he said, but not all of you, referring to Judas. So you guys, on the fact of your faith in me and my work that is going to take place on the cross this night, you are clean. Jesus knew that they would be part of his kingdom. But he said, all you need is this wash off right now. You know, I think that's true for us today as believers in Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. I think if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you need to come and get bathed. You need to be like Peter and say, wash all of me. Wash away my sins by the blood of the cross. But if you've had the Lord wash away your sins, then you don't need to come repeatedly back and say, Lord, wash all of me again. You have to come and just say, Lord, cleanse me, bathe me. Because our work and our walk in this world, we get dirty. It's kind of like in the summertime. <laughs> I wear, I used to call them flip-flops, but I have a kid that lives in Hawaii, so we call them slippers now. I wear them a lot in the summer. I have the tan line on my feet. I wear them enough that you can tell if I don't have my slippers on, you can tell where that strap goes. And sometimes I go to bed without washing my feet and then maybe in the morning get up and take a shower and see the dirt from my feet thinking, I should have washed off before I went to bed. My feet were dirty. That happens in this life. It happens in just life itself and in the uh, devices that we carry with us these days. That technology there, we see things that sometimes we shouldn't see. And Sometimes we may be looking for it. Other times we may not intentionally be looking for something that just comes across our web page. But we can come to the Lord and ask to cleanse us. And the Bible tells us in 1 John verses 1, 8, and 9, if we say we have no sin, we are deceived. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord telling Peter, I just need to wash your feet. You're clean. 
You're saved. Don't worry about that. But I need to wash your feet that we might continue in fellowship. If you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. The importance of that coming to the Lord. One thing I just want to point out before we move to verses 12 through 17. Jesus also washed the feet of Judas, his betrayer. You ever think about that at that last meal of the 13 guys who were in that room, Jesus being at the head of the table and the 12 disciples that Judas sat next to Jesus, John on the other side, Judas on the other side. So that was in itself a position of authority. But also Jesus served Judas and he washed his feet. Sometimes we have an enemy that we know of and there's nothing we want to do about serving them. I don't want to minister to that person. Lord, what do you mean I'm supposed to wash their feet? I want to be far from this individual. But that night, Jesus washed the feet of the betrayer. He extended his great love toward him, even Judas. But Judas was not willing to receive the love of Christ. And sadly, that's the condition of many in this world today. But Jesus is still there and available to bring cleansing to the lives of many. And so it was an explicit command in verses 12 through 17. We pick up in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I like that. If you know these things, happy are you. You can know these things and not do them. But I think in the process of understanding how the Lord would have us serve, it brings us joy in the process of serving. And so we find this command that the Lord gave to his disciples and gave to us as well. After he had washed their feet, after he put his clothing back on, resumed his position at the head of the table. He declared to them, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And we find this extreme or extreme <laughs> supreme example of Jesus's authority. I just think of this Jesus combining his unique style of servant leadership. It is something that we should want to imitate in this life. Jesus, a servant leader. Hey, Jesus had all authority. He knew that all authority had been given to him, but he willingly came as an obedient servant, as a holy servant of God. I was looking this up about servant leadership, and this comes from a book from Warren Worsby, and the book is called Ten Power Principles for Christian Service. And he said, yes, God's servant leaders have authority and they exercise it in love, balancing it with the stature they've gained by being faithful to the Lord and his people. Warren Worsby is identifying that there is this servant leader 
And as servant leaders, there's an authority that the Lord gives us, and it's balanced through faithfulness to the Lord and his people. Our problem, though, it's difficult for those who have authority to rightly balance power and servanthood. And we see that thrown out of whack all the time in our world. It's not only in the churches, throughout the world. What is the saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? And yet the Lord has called us to be servants to others. In Galatians 5.13, it tells us, For you, brethren, having been called to liberty or freedom, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. So the supreme example of love is seen through Jesus's work upon the cross, but it is also seen through his willingness to strip himself of his garments, to put the towel around his waist and to go to each disciple and to wash their feet. The one who should have had each of the disciples washing his feet, he willingly washed the feet of his followers. But at the same table was this subverted heart, that of Judas, Verses 18 through 20, we find a lifted heel. And it tells us, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives Whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That scripture might be fulfilled. He's speaking of Judas Iscariot here, and it's not a question at all. In fact, we've learned as we've studied in the Gospel of John, I've mentioned it at the first mention of Judas in John 6:70, that every gospel writer, when he first tells of Judas Iscariot, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us, this is the guy. This is the guy you want to watch out for. He's the one that betrayed Jesus. And we learn a little bit more about the character of Judas in John's gospel. In John 6, 70, he calls Judas a devil. In John 12, 6, he calls him a thief. In John 13, 2, we've already learned that he was possessed by Satan. And in John 18, 1 through 11, we have the act of betrayal taking place and displayed for us. John 6, 71, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he would betray him being one of the 12. And so Jesus knew this from the beginning, who would be the one who would betray him. Here's the, the thing that is so interesting about Judas. John reveals it to us that when he leaves this meal, the disciples think that he's going out to buy some bread to give to the poor, not that he's going out to betray Jesus. But they thought he's going out to get the bread because he was their treasurer. Now, I know that people have made this mistake in secular business, in government, and in churches. They have placed people in authority of the funds of the organization who are thieves, Judas was one such. But normally, when you're looking for the treasurer, 
you're kind of looking for someone who's going to be honest. They're going to be handling our money. We've got to make sure that this guy's honest, this gal's honest. So it tells us about the deception of Judas himself. He had a mask that he could put on that made him look good. Oh yeah, don't worry, I'll handle the funds, just give it to me. As he takes in one side and takes it out the other. But the disciples, they had no clue. In fact, none of them had any clue. Each person at that meal would ask the question, is it I? But after walking with Jesus for three plus years, Judas did not understand the depth of Jesus's love toward him. He quoted a verse of scripture to us here. It comes from Psalm 41, verse nine. Even my own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus told the rest of the disciples and Judas himself in advance what was going to happen, his death, burial, and resurrection, in order that afterwards, after he rose from the grave, they might believe that he is the Messiah. And though the depth of Jesus' love was displayed there at that last meal, also the depth of Judas's betrayal is seen as well. The heart of the one who would betray him and the wickedness that would set in, that would cause Jesus to go to the cross. You know, as believers, we're not to have such hearts. We are to receive others as if we're receiving Christ. And Jesus said, when we receive others as if we're receiving him, we receive the one who sent me, meaning we receive God as well. In Matthew 10, 40 and 42, it tells us, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me, meaning God the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. I like that. I don't know if we have met too many prophets these days, but we could insert a missionary in there. He who receives a missionary in the name of a missionary shall receive the missionary's reward. Not everyone is called to go to another country to serve Jesus, but we can come alongside those who do as missionaries. We can support them. We can pray for them. We can financially help them as well. When they come home on their, their leave, usually they take those, they do two things. They come back to take a break, but also to go to the churches and visit to the churches that support them and pray for them to give an update, a report. We can be part of that, but the word tells us as we're part of doing that for someone else, we receive that reward in heaven. He who receives a righteous man, a righteous woman in the name of a righteous man or woman shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he who gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple Surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Listen, he brings it down to even if you're only giving a cup of cold water, there's reward in that for you. But we got to be willing to go and to do. Sometimes our going and doing is supporting others that are doing the missionary work. But also we have we have work here to do right in our own area. But Judas his heart was troubled. His heel was lifted up against the Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us. First and foremost, Lord, 
be with us that we know that we are cleansed of our sins through faith in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that every person in this room, Lord, that there's a point where they have asked that you be the Lord and Savior of their life, where they have asked that you forgive their sins, that they would be saved. But also, Lord, as believers, we're much like Peter and the other disciples. We're clean. We've been bathed. We've been washed with the waters of salvation. But our work and our walk in this world, it taints us. It makes us dirty. And Lord, we need to be uh, washed as if our feet are being washed. Jesus, you said to Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you'll have no part. And sometimes, Lord, our fellowship with you is distance because even as believers, we refuse to surrender all to you. I pray, Lord, if there's one or two or all of us who need to just come to that place of surrender today, let it be so. Lord, that you would free us then as your followers to love and serve one another. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Oh,